Well, good morning, City Light Church. It's good to see you guys. Oh, I like that. Everyone's saying good morning. Yes. For everyone online, uh, good morning. We miss you. We can't wait till this whole pandemic's over and we can all gather together and celebrate our risen king as one body. But until then, we'll continue to work this way. Uh, Church, last week, Ricky started off our new series in the book of Acts. And we titled the series, Jesus Continued. And we specifically gave it this title because... God's not done yet. Jesus is still at work and God is still building his church, saving people, spreading the message of the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom to continue to come by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful thing that we get to celebrate. So today we will be in Acts chapter 1 verses 6 to 11. But before we dive in there, I want to ask the question of, uh, have you guys ever seen the, um, the memes that are specifically, you had one job? So there are these hilarious memes that are all over the internet that basically paint this picture and you look at them and the, the caption is usually, you had one job. So uh, I drew up a couple, or I found a couple of them online and so we're going to share them for you guys to see. So uh, you had one job, okay, supposed to make that straight, that didn't happen. Okay, next one. Uh, do not stack. That doesn't, okay, they had one job and they didn't do it. Okay, let's go to the next one. Made in China. Happy 4th of July. Uh, okay, let's go to the next one. You. Who's putting their kid on that slide? Who's going to that park later today? Uh, the parks are now open. Um, okay, this last one's my favorite. You had one job. In that bathroom. Ricky, you using this bathroom, bro? This is ridiculous. Uh, I love these. They're all over the internet. This one, I was like, I asked the staff team, I was like, is that appropriate? Can we, can we show this one? It's too funny. And they gave me the okay, so we went ahead and do it. So if, if you don't think it's appropriate, I apologize. But it was really funny. Uh, the purpose of these memes, right, is to show that this person who is setting it up, whether they're painting lines on the street or, or whether they're putting up toilet doors or uh, stacking boxes that aren't supposed to be stacked, right? The, the purpose of these memes is to show that the person had one job. And they specifically had this one job and they were supposed to do it and accomplish it and they didn't, right? And so with us in our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with God, we don't have to do anything to earn that relationship. Jesus himself came down, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, raised it three days later, defeated sin and death, and ascended into heaven, reigns at the right hand of the Father. And that's all a free gift that we get to enjoy. Beautiful eternity by turning to Jesus and actually seeing that he is God, seeing that he did die for us. But Jesus himself, as a follower of Christ, God does send us on a mission. He does give us one job to specifically go and do one responsibility for us to devote our attention to. And so we'll see today in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, we'll see three different things. We'll see that we should have a proper concern that we're looking toward. We'll see that Jesus sends us on a commission. And finally, we'll see that the ascension of Christ propels us forward to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and make disciples. That's what we'll see in the text today. So please open up your Bibles with me and let's read uh, verses 6 and 7 together again. It says this, So when they had come together, they asked him, 
Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So the disciples look to Jesus and they ask if he's going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Now, they've been walking with Jesus, right? They've seen him. They've been around him. They've hung out with him. They've seen him heal people. They've heard him proclaim the kingdom of God at hand. They've seen him die. They've seen him resurrect. And so finally, they're like, you're gonna finally do what we've been expecting you to do. And so they ask the question, will you finally free us from the oppression of the Romans, right? Will you finally allow us to no longer be servants of them? And so it's like them saying, hey, Lord, Jesus, are you finally going to bring the kingdom? Are we finally going to be able to ascend ourselves and reign and rule as we so choose to so we don't have to serve somebody else? They had a different type of kingdom in mind. They wanted to no longer be under someone else's authority submitting to someone else, and they wanted to reign and rule and ascend and be the higher power, having their own prescribed kingdom to be the perfect way that they so wanted it to be. And we do that as well, right? They had a distorted view of what the kingdom of God is like. They had false expectations of what following Jesus was actually going to look like, and we do the same exact thing. So let me give a few examples of maybe a way that you have false expectations of the Christian life or of God himself. And the first one may be that when you came to faith, when you came to Christ and he radically saved you and brought you from death to life, you had this thought that the Christian life was going to be easy. You thought that you would never suffer. You thought that there would never be pain, no more hurting, no more sorrow. And then as you started to walk in life with God, you started to notice that life wasn't easy, that you still struggled, that things were hard, and you started to question God, and you had a distorted expectation of what the Christian life is like. One way to tell if this is something that you have fallen into, a trap that you've fallen into, is that you've actually thought that God has owed you something. You think that God didn't hold up his end of the bargain because you're saying, God, I'm following you, but you're not giving me all these sweet blessings. That's the distorted view of Christianity. Uh, another false expectation of walking with Christ is maybe you were excited because you married a Christian man or Christian woman and you're excited for this picture-perfect marriage that you dreamed up to be so beautiful, so wonderful with no more fighting, no more selfishness, no more struggles that you thought you were going to be all okay and you figured you'd have the perfect family portrait to be able to put on Instagram and have in the center of your living room. And then as you started in marriage, you started to see that your, your husband or wife was selfish at times. You started to see that you yourself didn't want to serve them or there became a hard season to where marriage was just really hard. But you thought marriage was supposed to be so picture perfect because they're a Christian. That's a false expectation of the Christian life or a distorted expectation of what uh, God calls us to. Yeah. Now, a, a third one that we see is maybe when you came to Christ, Jesus grabbed your heart and pulled you in and you were so on fire. You were so excited to proclaim the kingdom of God. You're so excited to hear of this God who died for you that you thought your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors were all going to respond the same way. So when you go back home 
and you start sharing the gospel with them, you think they're going to be so pumped up, but then they're hesitant, and they're cold to it, and they're resistant. Friends, Christ tells us in the gospels to expect all of this. That life will still be hard. Read Matthew chapter 10. He constantly tells us that over and over again throughout that whole entire chapter. But friends, we all have these false expectations. We've created these traps that we fall into and we start thinking, God, this is what your kingdom is supposed to look like. This is what your kingdom is supposed to look like in my life. And you start dreaming up your own kingdom rather than what God's kingdom is supposed to be. And when we follow these distorted expectations, these false expectations of the Christian life, we start looking toward the kingdom that we ourselves are building and we start focusing on what we think is actually the mission that God has sent us on. This other job that we've created. And, and this can look like uh, maybe a program, right? Like you get so excited that your kingdom is supposed to run after the city and make the city look perfect and good and well. Or, or you think that you start, you're supposed to start uh, some sort of service project and you make that the church's primary focus and your primary focus as a Christian because you think that's what it's supposed to be. But that's not the job, has, that's not the job that God has sent us on. That's not the main job. Those are beautiful, wonderful, good things that God does call us to do, but it's not our main job. It's not our main mission that we see Christ send us on. And we tend to build these projects or these programs and we try, we start to say that this is what the kingdom of God is supposed to be. This is who we're supposed to be as Christians and those are great, beautiful, wonderful things that God does call us to do, but he does send us on one greater mission to continue to move forward in. Now Jesus tells the disciples, he says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed. In this sentence, in the way that Jesus speaks to them, he basically tells them, hey, that's not your business. Don't, don't worry about the times that the Father has fixed. That's not your business. So stop worrying about when Christ's return is. Because he's sent you on a mission. And worrying about his return is not our primary goal. In verse 7, he's saying, hey, don't, don't be concerned with this, but look towards what I'm sending you on. Look towards the main job that I'm sending you on. And when we worry and focus on this, we take our eyes off of the commission that he has sent us on. So, we know that this isn't our business. Let's look to what is our business. Read verse 8 with me. But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the commission that Christ sends us on. This is the mission that God is sending us towards. This is our main job. In verse 7, Jesus says, hey, don't focus on this. This isn't your business, but focus on this that I'm sending you towards. He commissions the disciples and he says, this is your business. This is your mission. He tells them that when the Spirit of God comes upon them, that he will empower them to continue to go out to all of Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't 
come upon the disciples for some days later. But for us, here today, the Spirit of God dwells inside of us and enters into us and sits with us always when we come to know who Jesus is. When we start to see that there is a creator God and that he created the entire world beautifully so that we would have a relationship with him and so that he would dwell with us. But us as humans, we've broken that relationship because we've rebelled against him. We've desired to live life the way that we so choose to. We've desired to put ourselves up higher than him and choose that we think we know what's better for us than he does. And in the midst of sinning, in the midst of being away from God and rebelling, we've broken the relationship. And there's nothing we can do to earn that relationship back. We can't earn our favor with God. But God was so kind, so wonderful, so gracious, so merciful to sacrifice his son, to send it Jesus to live life perfectly, to walk with us, to die and take the death that was supposed to be ours, the wrath that was supposed to be ours. And Christ himself did that joyfully, raised three days later by the power of the Spirit, resurrecting his body and bringing him back to life. And when we trust in Christ, that same power dwells in us. Now, the Holy Spirit isn't some superpower or some Jedi force that we get or some power that God just kind of goes, bam, there's some Holy Spirit there. No, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God himself. And God himself dwells in you when you trust in Christ, when you come to understand who God is. We get God by trusting in God. It's a free gift that he offers to us. In Jesus' death, we receive life. In Jesus' death, we receive new creation. In Jesus' death, we receive transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in each one of us when we come to know who he is. And it's this very Holy Spirit that empowers us to be witnesses. Now, this term witness is a key word in the book of Acts. Uh, it's a key word because that's what our main job is, right? We are called to be a witness to who Christ is. It, it's used 39 different times in the book of Acts. And that's just the word witness. When there are synonyms used, in other words, that mean the same thing, it, the count just keeps rolling up. So what is a witness, right? Well, in the United States, uh, we have this system to where if you've seen a crime, if you've witnessed something, they call you to then go and testify. And while you're testifying, you tell of what you've seen and what you've experienced. And that's what God calls us to be. That's, what, that's a title he literally gives to us, witness. Now, sometimes we can be like, oh, witness, that's a little old school. I don't want to be called a witness or say I'm witnessing. Well, that's what the Bible tells us, so uh, we're, we'll be okay with it. Um, so we're supposed to witness to who Jesus is, to tell of what we've seen, to tell of what we've experienced, to be a witness of who God is. And think with me for a quick sec. If the apostles never followed Jesus' command to go, 
if they never took the Great Commission and went forward, none of us would be here. None of us would be sitting here in this room. If, if they weren't filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't be here because they wouldn't have gone to the ends of the earth and they would have sat down and just sat there by themselves. And yet, they were empowered and filled by the Spirit of God. And they went and proclaimed the kingdom of God, of the Christ crucified who resurrected and gave them life. And because of that, because of that, some 2,000 years later, millions of people this morning are hearing the gospel proclaimed and the Bible be preached because they were faithful to be a witness. They were faithful to preach and share the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, dream with me for a little bit. Let's not use the number 2,000. Let's scale it down a little bit. Let's say 200 years from today. 200 years from today, if Christ doesn't come back, who's going to be sitting in churches, worshiping God, hear the gospel proclaimed because of your faith? Who's going to be impacted by the words that you share that the Holy Spirit goes and uses and transforms life and brings someone from death to life? How many dozens of families will be worshiping the King because of your faith to follow, to go to the ends of the earth? We should be asking ourselves, are we actually living out this mission? Are we trying to fulfill some other kingdom that we've created on our own? Are we actually doing the one job that he has sent us on? To go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Because this just wasn't for them. It was for each and every single one of us to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus. Now, let's just think about Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem was where they currently resided. And so uh, I'll use the city of Lincoln because most of us reside here in Lincoln. And so Ricky last week talked about uh, the city of Lincoln and gave this extremely generous number, extremely generous that maybe one quarter of Lincoln is attending churches this morning. Now, now all of those churches aren't preaching the gospel, but Let's, let's just go with this number, and, and let's praise God if this is a true number, but we, we doubt it, but let's go with one quarter. 300,000 people in the city of Lincoln. One quarter of that, 75,000, are being reached. 75,000 people who've heard the kingdom of God, who've heard of Christ crucified. Praise God. If that's a true number. Praise God that the gospel is being preached this morning. But there's still another 225,000 people. And that's a tiny number compared to the rest of the world. Compared to the 1040 window. That has people who have no or little access to the name of Jesus. Friends, are we reaching our Jerusalem? So think about it. Out of every... Four people you see, only one of them has trusted in Christ and has a relationship with him. And that's just here in our town. The number gets way smaller 
as you stretch out to the ends of the earth. We have some work to do. This is the mission that God has sent us on. To go and proclaim the kingdom. To go and be a witness. To share of what we've seen and what we've experienced. To share of what Christ has done so that they would know him. So that they would have a relationship with him. So that they would dwell with him for eternity. So church, are we reaching our Jerusalem? Every time you go on a walk outside and you see three families, three or four families, three quarters of them haven't been reached. Say there's four people in your office and you're one of them. The probability is that the other three don't actually have a relationship with the Lord. And that's being generous with those numbers. Friends, this is our business. This is our mission. This is our one job that Christ has sent us on to proclaim the good news. And this is the reason why we plant churches. I know that church planting can be really hard. I, I know that uh, it's been tough as we've experienced. Trust me, I, I feel it. I, I feel the burden that church planting is. And I feel the, the hurt and the difficulty with constantly sending people out. But that's what God has called us to do. To go to the ends of the earth. To go and make disciples. To plant churches in different cities, in different states, in different nations. So that his name would be proclaimed. Not so that some brand name could be made. I could care less about the title of City Light, but I care about the name of Jesus. And that's why we send people to plant churches. There's something in our hearts sometimes that makes us go, I just want to be comfortable. I don't want to send anymore. I don't want to see my friends go. Because we do see this beautiful truth, right? That when you become part of a church family, we start to feel a bond to the people who we worship Jesus with. And when we get extremely close and God calls them to go, it hurts. And it's hard to send them out. Friends, I know this is true. I know that it's difficult. Trust me, me, myself, personally, I have struggled. I, there have been times I don't want to send Ryan to Fort Collins. There, there have been times where I think, man, I don't want to send Kelly to Fort Collins. I don't want to send Nick and Lexi Eller to go plant City Light Bennington. That, that's a real struggle that's in my heart. And that's because Jesus has done such a sweet work of building his church here. And it's really hard, but it's what he's called us to. To be joyful to send. To be joyful to see Christ proclaimed. To be joyful to see the sacrifice that people are making and the sacrifice that we're making so that Jesus' name would be known to someone else. So that heaven would be a little more crowded. What a beautiful gift we have that he's given to us to be able to share. To be able to be uncomfortable. One author puts it this way. He says, the gospel never triumphs apart from some measure of sacrifice. Someone has to sacrifice so that others may live. Someone has to sacrifice so that others may live. 
How true is that? Because if the Father never sent His Son, if the Father never sacrificed the Son, we wouldn't have life. And it's very true for us, each of us here today, when we take a step, a faithful step to go empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the truth of Christ with a family member, with a co-worker, with a friend. We make a sacrifice in the midst of that. But our sacrifice, it leads to life. Life everlasting with Christ. Your sacrifice of your time, of your popularity, of your relationships is all so that they will live. So that they would know the truth of Jesus himself. This is good news. This is wonderful, beautiful, great news that God himself has given us his Holy Spirit dwells within us and empowers us and sends us to go and proclaim the name of Jesus. What a beautiful gift we have. Friends, it doesn't matter if you use fancy words or some super fancy presentation to share the truth of the gospel. I, I, I think I've shared this story before, but the, one of the very first times I ever shared the gospel was with a girl sitting at a coffee shop and I had my phone upside down and I'm trying to read it and it was this app and I have no idea what I'm doing. And the whole time I'm sitting there saying words that don't make any sort of sense. And yet at the end of that conversation, at the, at the end of probably the worst gospel sharing presentation ever, the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of her and he said, you're mine. And that girl now proclaims Christ crucified. Not because I used some app, not because I said fancy words but because I was faithful to the calling that God had to proclaim his name. Faithful to continue to share of who Jesus is. It's not about the fancy words. It's not about the fancy drawings or whatever mode you use. It's about Christ being proclaimed. One author puts it this way. He says, our only hope to see lives changed by the gospel is to faithfully proclaim God's word and then trust God's spirit. I'll say it again. Trust God's spirit to make our proclamation effective. Lives changed doesn't come through marketing gimmicks or clever programming, but lives are changed through the gospel being proclaimed. What a beautiful beautiful gift that Jesus himself wants to use his spirit, that the spirit of God wants to invite us in on this mission to go and proclaim Christ crucified, to go and proclaim the gospel in a very unique name, in a very unique way, to share the truth of Christ so that they would have life. God wants to invite you in on that. He wants to actually send you. So you don't need to fear. You don't need to be anxious. You don't need to procrastinate or worry because God is with you. He dwells in you, Christian, brother, sister, saint, follower of Christ. He dwells in you, that same Holy Spirit that resurrected him from the dead, that same Holy Spirit that is God himself dwells inside of you. 
to proclaim Christ crucified. You don't need to fear. And, and there will be a point where someone will ask a question and you won't know the answer. And that's okay. You'll never know all the answers. No matter how much apologetics homework you do, you'll never know all the answers. I don't know all the answers. Ricky doesn't know all the answers. Only God himself knows all the answers. So friend, when that point comes, when that moment comes and they ask a question and you don't know the answer, it's okay to say, I don't know. You don't need to fear. The Spirit of God is with you. So let me encourage you, if this feels like a really tall task, if this feels like it's overwhelming because there's 225,000 people, probably more, in our city who don't know Jesus, who don't have a relationship with Him, and then to the ends of the earth, if this feels like a tall task, it is. But God is with us. And we can trust His Spirit to move. And friends, Jesus didn't say, you're the one that saves people, go do it. Jesus didn't say, make sure you say everything perfectly. Jesus didn't say, hey, this is all on you. No, He invited you to say, do this with me. Let us go together. And He's the one who changes lives. He just wants to use us to proclaim and be a witness to what we've seen and what we've experienced. To share of what Christ has done in our own life. Friends, be encouraged. It's not all on you. And you're not the one who saves people. The Holy Spirit is the one who does. We just proclaim Christ crucified. So I'd be remiss if I didn't actually give you a tool on how to share the gospel. If I could just sit here and tell you to go do it, but not actually teach you maybe a method to do so, that would be a fail. So I'm going to give you four words. Four words to share the truth of Christ crucified. So you could write these down if you so choose to, but the four words are creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, Redemption, restoration. And that's the story of the Bible. That's the story of our lives. Because in creation, there is one creator God who did create everything. And he created us to dwell with us, to be in a right relationship with us. But in the midst of that beautiful creation that he made, we have fallen because we have sinned. And we've fallen short of the glory of God. And we've rebelled against Him continuously. And because of our rebellion, because of our selfishness, because of our sin, we are separated from God. And we need to be redeemed in order to be in a right relationship with Him. And so God sent redemption, His Son, Jesus, to live the perfect life. To do all the work for us. To take the wrath on for our sin and raise three days later so that we could be redeemed by the blood of Christ. So that we could have life everlasting, the free gift that God offers to us. 
And today we read about the restoration that we have in Christ, right? Because he promises that he will return one day and everything will be restored just like our relationship with him is now restored. He will wipe away every tear, every sorrow, every hurt, every pain when he returns. So in the ascension, we see restoration. So read with me verses 9 to 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He will come in the same way as you saw him go. Friends, this ascension is beautiful. But nobody talks about it. You guys ever notice that? Everyone talks about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. But no one ever talks about his ascension. J.T. English, who's a pastor in Colorado, he calls this the forgotten act of Christ. The forgotten act of Christ because people always forget to mention this. But it's so important and it's crucial to the gospel. It's crucial to the truth because if we don't have the ascension, the gospel is not fulfilled, friends. This is huge for the disciples to see, experience, and witness. Think about it for a quick sec. You've been hanging out with your friend who literally just rose from the dead. He commissions you out. And he just zips up on into heaven like a bottle rocket. I mean, you got to be mind blown. I'd be sitting there staring too. And this ascension to a Jewish reader, to them as Jews to see this, would click. Because they would think of the Old Testament and the prophecies given of the ascension, right? They would get the picture of the book of 2 Kings with Elijah ascending. And then they'd also remember that Daniel talked about the Son of Man coming on a cloud for his return. And then Psalm 24, it reads this. It says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. This is clearly about Jesus. It it ain't about me. I ain't got clean hands. I don't have a pure heart. I I did wash my hands, don't worry. Um, But this ascension is clearly about Jesus. Jesus himself. The ascension is crucial to talk about, crucial to know, crucial to see, because if Jesus never ascends, he never returns. If Jesus never ascends, We never receive the Holy Spirit. If Jesus never ascends, he wouldn't be sitting at the right hand of the Father. And currently, here today, right now, at this moment, the Son of Man, God himself, Jesus, reigns and rules. He intercedes for us continually. We walked through Psalm chapter 2 a couple of weeks ago, and that story is true. Our God reigns and rules right now here today. 
What a beautiful truth that we get to worship that God. Now, as the disciples see Jesus ascend, they, they're stuck looking because they're amazed, right? I, I would keep looking up just as they did. And then two men appear, and we presume they're angels, and they say, what are you doing? Why do you keep looking up? I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty good at procrastinating. Uh, when I tend to get stressed, if I have one main project that's stressing me out, uh, I will avoid the project and I will go do things that are due like three weeks later. So I'll go start doing everything else that does not need to be due tomorrow, but the main thing that's due tomorrow, I'll just avoid it because I'm stressed out by it. Now, this happened my senior year of college. I had to write my senior thesis, and it's supposed to be like 25 pages. Uh, and all the research, all of the study, all of the actual kind of project was done, and I had like two weeks left. All I had to do was compile all of the data, put it into a document, print it off, and then send it to my uh, professor. But I was so stressed out that it was wrong. I just kept kind of looking at it and avoiding it and going to do other homework to the point to where the last two nights before I was supposed to hand it in, I crammed putting it all together. I was up to like 4 a.m. those nights because I procrastinated so much. Friends, we tend to get our heads in the clouds very easily. And we tend to get distracted by different things very easily. And here we see the angels, the two men, come to the disciples, come to the apostles and say, what are you doing? This same Jesus who died and ascended, he's coming back. He's coming back. The angels basically say, get to work. He's sending you on a commission. He's sending you to go. And so they kind of give him a kick in the pants to get rolling and get excited about the Holy Spirit dwelling in them and empowering them to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus. But we too can get caught up asking the question or thinking or procrastinating, right? We too get caught up with all of that. And we start looking to something else. We start asking the question, when is Jesus coming back? And the angels say again, don't worry about that. That's not your business. Does it sound familiar? Because we have a mission to go accomplish. And, and I know that sometimes we start thinking, oh my gosh, when is Jesus coming back, right? There's a global pandemic going on. There's years of racism coming to conversations. There's earthquakes in Mexico. There's flooding in different countries. There's killer hornets that nobody knows what happened to them. And we get caught up saying, what, okay, what happened to those? They, you saw it all over Facebook, and then they just kind of, dis- I'm, I, I don't know. But friends, we get caught up in talking about Jesus returning more than we get caught up talking about, hey, what he did here, and what he did in your life, and what he's doing today. We get distracted from the mission, but friends, Church, don't get distracted. Know that the kingdom of God is at hand and know that he will return. The angels give us that beautiful promise. And it's not our business to worry about when he's returning, but it is our business to get our head out of the clouds and to go run with the promise in hand. 
run with the promise in hand that he is going to return. We can take that to the bank. We've seen him rise from the dead, ascend into heaven. Why wouldn't he return for us, friends? We know that this is a true promise, and so we can run on mission, excited for his return, but to tell of what he's already done, to be a witness, to share of what you've seen and what you've experienced. Friends, we get to proclaim the good news of Jesus. The Spirit of God empowers you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Spirit of God dwells in you today as a believer in Christ? Friends, He wants to use you. He's sending you to actually be on mission, not simply to just send sermons, send podcasts, to do it that way. Yes, those are good things. But remember, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And He's sending you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He's sending you. Friends, be encouraged and be reminded It's not all on you. He's doing the work. He just wants to use you. He's inviting you into this. He didn't save you for your own salvation, but he saved you so that you would make a sacrifice and proclaim Christ crucified for someone else's salvation, for someone else's life to be absolutely transformed like yours was. What a beautiful gift that we have that we can go and proclaim Christ crucified. Because the Spirit of God dwells in us, empowers us to go to the ends of the earth proclaiming that truth. So church, would you go with me? Would you go with him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so incredibly grateful for the fact that you sent your son and you sacrificed him so that we would have life. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't ask the question, is this the right kingdom? But we would know that we can go and do our one job, our one mission, to go and proclaim Christ crucified so that others would know you. Lord, I pray that you would light a fire in our own hearts to see people in our lives, friends, co-workers, family members, to share the truth and to be a witness of what we've seen and what we've experienced, to tell of your great name. Lord, I beg you that you would empower us and that you'd inspire us and encourage us to go and proclaim your name, God, to the ends of the earth. It's in your beautiful name. Amen.